Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of The Cute Monster Show. I'm your host, Vincent Daly. On today's episode, I'm talking with James Zahn, also known as The Rock Father. Hi, James Zahn, and welcome to The Cute Monster Show. How are you doing today? Doing great. Happy to be here. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, you are best known to the audience as The Rock Father, and now... Being the senior editor of the Toy Book, you are even in a greater position to be the expert on the subject of toys. And I'm so happy to have you on to talk about it. We're living in the 21st century, and technology is here to stay. We are living in the midst of the digital era. Knowing all this, in 2019, how do toys fit into the mix for kids? You know, there's a big trend towards returning to classic play this year. And one thing that I'm seeing is a lot of a lot of these companies that kind of attached apps to things in the past are starting to see that they didn't really enhance the product in the way that they thought that they would. Uh, walking through Toy Fair, the majority of what's there is truly toys. We see a lot of focus on tech, but that's not necessarily where kids are playing as much as the media would like to think that they are. Screens are certainly a big issue, and it's something that I've written about um, numerous times because I think that there is uh, too much screen time happening with uh, particularly the tablets and such. But that is not replacing traditional play in as extreme a manner as some might think. I would agree with that. I think there was a rush to get into that market because tablets had become so popular so quickly with kids. And, you know, the best way I think the industry was thinking to connect with said kids is merge the two ideas together, toys with your tablet or whatever smart device you may own. And I think the execution was just never there to make it work properly and make it fun for a long period of time. I think kids kind of picked it up, thought it wasn't fun after a while, put it down and, and never looked at it again. And meanwhile, you'll have piles and piles of toys and not being used for that reason because the execution wasn't there. That's true. And then when, when you look at what kids are actually doing on their devices, most of the time they're sitting there watching YouTube. That's the reality of it. They look busy. They might be playing a game on there or, you know, a mobile app of some kind, but it's not a toy-centric app. Um, so it, it's kind of a it, – it's, it's such a difficult thing to see where the disconnect is. But I think traditional toys work best as a traditional toy. Stuff that is tech-based can work with the screens. But it, the, the marriage of the two just never seems to gel properly. And maybe we're moving to where it's about to turn that corner. I know like Lego has a, has a new thing coming out um, that, that may actually give that experience, the, you know, the boost that it needs and actually do it right. But I'm not sold. I, I'm not sold on the two things working together in tandem the way that I think people were hoping that they would. I think that's a fair point. I think um, I think that they are two separate entities right now, and unless they are built from the ground up as working seamlessly together, it's it's always going to be that bit of disconnect. 
no matter how good the software is, no matter how good the toy is, they're not built together in harmony from day one, it could be problematic. Yep, and there are some, uh, you know, uh, did you by chance see the Lightsaber Academy from Hasbro? I know of it. I don't know too much about it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That is an example of a new toy that may have the right tech element. And obviously, I'm a big Star Wars guy. I think you might be a big Star Wars guy. I am. The Lightsaber Academy reinvented the way the physical lightsaber play is to begin with, where you've always the, the the dream has always been that kids would have a lightsaber that is close to what they see on screen hasbro is getting there it's not 100% you know it's still not hit the button and a beam comes out but the experience is getting there and now they're to the point where they've got the kyber crystal inside which for the extra dorky star wars fan you know that's what powers it it gives it its color but what they've done is they've created an app that actually tracks the motion of each player with their lightsaber and teach, teaches them the swordsmanship that goes with it. And it reacts to how the kid is actually handling it to indicate whether or not they're a Jedi or a Sith by the elegance of their motion. That, I think, is kind of cool. That is cool. Uh, because they're they're physically playing as they always have been, but there's this other sidebar to it where if they want to use it, they have the option and there's something that's adding to the story. That That's a key thing is the story that goes with it to, to boost that imagination. So that, that was one tech toy that I saw that I, I was kind of impressed with and would like to look at further. Yeah, that sounds neat. I was wondering, uh, is is that something that's going to be very pricey, or is that something that's going to be pretty accessible to people? I think it'll be accessible. I'm not sure what the MSRP is on it, but uh, I don't think that that was being priced out. I mean, it is a toy. It's it's not being marketed towards like the collector market. Well, speaking of Star Wars, how much do you think pop culture influences the toys kids play with today? It's huge, and we're on an uptick. The last couple of years, there were still a ton of licenses, but the reality was they were starting to sell less and less. And you've got you've got kind of inbound licensing and outbound licensing where inbound is your toy maker is there and they're bringing in external licenses. Outbound is you have something like LOL Surprise where it's an in-house original IP and then they license that out to additional consumer products, um, you know, like you start to see bed sheets and clothes and that type of stuff. So there's, there's two ways that the licensing is working, and they work best when they're both firing at the same time so that you have a hot property. Now, look what happened. Again, we'll go back to Star Wars. Um, the last 18 months or so, Star Wars product was still a big seller, but there was also a ton of it that was on clearance because it wasn't selling the way people thought it was going to do. And there were a variety of factors. There was, you know, you, you hear about franchise fatigue where people tired of it. Was there too much of it? Were there just too many skews, which I personally think is a thing. Uh, and then there was also quality of the films. People might not have liked them. That's a whole nother discussion, but, um, there is that balance between the actual property and 
how much is too much and is it all working together? Uh, this year is a huge uptick in licensing. And what we're seeing is, number one, a big movie year. So I mean, right out of the gate here, you've got Captain Marvel is taking off to be a behemoth. Uh, you have huge properties on the line. You've got a Star Wars movie. Um, allegedly, we're going to see Masters of the Universe in December, so that could be a big thing. Um, Frozen 2 is coming out. Toy Story 4 this summer. So you've got all of those, but then we're seeing the big trend on YouTubers and social influencers that are getting in and gamers. So are you familiar with Ninja? Yes. All right, so Ninja is this incredibly popular Twitch streamer that turned himself into a brand and now he's on the licensing game. So Wicked Cool Toys has this entire line of Ninja product coming out. And then there's also a blaster line that I, I believe Zuru's got under their X-Shot line. Uh, all of this stuff. And now, so we're seeing this weird cross-pollination where the licenses are growing and they're getting bigger, but they're coming from a different place. And one of those places is YouTube. So you mentioned YouTube, of course, you got to talk about Ryan's world. That is becoming a big thing. And now he's going to be on Nickelodeon. So you're into traditional media and that's becoming a brand there. That's going into toys, more licensees. I think they signed 40 of them this year. So pop culture is going to be influencing kids and it's not it's not just little kids. We're talking teens, tweens and adults and now I now I guess everybody's calling pop culture minded adults kid adults now is the thing. Oh gosh, I didn't hear that one, but thank you for that. So yeah, so I, I I'm not sure where that came from, but that's what I keep hearing. Um, so yeah, so pop culture, it's all around us and I, I mean, I was sitting in this office, which you can't see, of course, but I'm looking at Funko Pops and Hot Wheels and everything's got a brand on it. So it's everywhere. And this is a big uptick here. Given what you've said and factoring in all the different sources of pop culture influences, are things becoming too fragmented? Is the toy industry transforming into a niche market? I think it's both because pop culture is mainstream now. A lot of the stuff that used to be, I mean, comic books used to be considered a subculture, a nerdy, dorky thing. And now everybody's into it. Um, gaming is another thing. And that, that's another area of licensing. And I'm not just talking video games. There's this entire, um, there's this entire fandom of board gamers and tabletop gamers and those properties are expanding into other things. So you have your niches, but at the same time, they kind of come together as like this pop culture Voltron where each, each arm is a different thing pointing a different direction, but yet the heart of them is the same. And I, I think what's important is that it connects people and while you do have these niches and maybe certain things aren't going to sell a lot, and I think that's a that's a good example, too, with Funko. Funko's got the basics. You've got the comic book heroes. You've got the big TV properties. But then you've got Sanford and Son. Who's going to buy that? I'll buy that. You know? I mean, it, it's a weird thing. So how many of those are they making? 
or even like Golden Girls or whatever. These these smaller properties that were big at one time that have their fandom now, you know, Knight Rider. They made a they made a Michael Knight and Kit. How many of those did they actually sell? With the exception to guys like me, <laughs> um, you know, they have the ability now to do stuff. I think in a in a more limited quantity, where it used to be that you'd have to mass produce something to make it worth your while. And now I think they've got such a balance between the stuff that's selling hundreds of thousands and the stuff that's selling thousands um, that that they can kind of reach everyone no matter what your fandom is. That's on a related note too. That's kind of where we go with the other publication that I also serve as senior editor on, which is the pop insider fuel. Your fandom is our mantra for that. And it's that fandom is everywhere. And these pop culture licenses are, are fueling that. So if I understand what you're saying, toy manufacturers can get as granular as they want in order to reach any target they'd like. The technology has improved enough that they can shift on a dime and make something to cater to any audience they discover. They can. And it's, of course, it's not going to be every manufacturer because smaller manufacturers have less layers of BS to go through. Your bigger companies still are catering, especially the publicly traded ones, are, are catering to you know, their shareholders and there's different layers of, of things you have to do. But if you look at a Funko or like Super 7, I actually just did a feature on their, their new sports line that's coming out. These smaller companies are actually coming up with ways to have bigger reach and more flexibility. And like you said, the turning on a dime, it used to take 18 months to get a product out there from conception to design to production and getting it back here if you're importing it. Now there's companies out there that can flip something like that in 60 to 90 days. And another more unsavory aspect of that is look how look how quickly certain things get knocked off. Like, you know, knockoffs and bootleg toys and collectibles is is a serious industry issue. Um, look at how quickly some of the factories overseas are able to turn around stuff like that. Uh, so it proves the technology is there. It just it's just a matter of if you have access to it and if you're allowed. Well, let's let's talk about technology more a bit. Let's circle back on that because it is so sure. important in societies, particularly in the classrooms. There's an emphasis on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, respectively. And the STEM-oriented toy companies are out there. They're leading the way uh, to provide to provide kids something that's educational. But I have not discovered yet something that has really been a huge hit in terms of the fun factor. Where's the innovation at? Is is that happening today? Is is there a company that you could point to, or companies that you could point to, that are providing not only the educational factor but the fun? There is a lot of stuff out there, and there's people. I think one of the the biggest problems is that they're slapping the name STEM or STEAM because they add art into it now. True. Um, that I don't think that the general consumer even knows what they're looking for. Like mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. I don't know that they that they have any idea what any of this stuff means to a point. So they get this stuff, and it may not be fun for the kids. Uh, 
I certainly see a lot of stuff come in here. There's stuff we buy, and then, of course, we get product samples, and my own daughters try this stuff. And what I tend to see is that the more organic type of STEM products, like, and I'm talking science, um, experimentation, and this is stuff, too, that's been around for decades. Even the, think back, you know, growing crystals 30, 40 years ago, you could buy those sets. That is essentially a STEM product. Um, you're you're learning science. Even something as simple as making the volcano out of the baking soda and the vinegar. That type of hands-on, messy, project-based product, I see getting more play than the robotics. And everybody's rolling out these robotics kits. And there's there's some companies that are doing it really well, like uh, Vex Robotics and Hexbug and stuff. They have some really impressive stuff that that is fun. And when you look at it, though, is it the little kids that are really enjoying it or is it the older kids, or, you know, the teens and tweens that are getting into that that sort of high tech range. Um, and then a lot of it just becomes noise in the background. So I don't see like any one big hit to pinpoint and also on the robotic edge too. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I've seen this the past couple of years. Why does every robot look like Johnny five from short circuit? <laughs> the head of every everybody's rolling out. It's a look at our new STEM kit. And I'm talking from the top down, you know, spin masters got them under their Meccano and Erector set range. Um, Lego had one last year. They all have the face that looks exactly like Johnny five. Well, it's, it's uh, iconic, you know, it's re instantly recognizable. So, you know, it's, it's that whole thing of uh, pop culture and forming uh, the masses, what is popular and not popular. So it kind of yeah, makes sense, even, you know? Fisher Price, Fisher Price has the Code and Learn Kinderbot this year. And same thing. It looks it looks like Johnny Five and Wally had a baby. Uh, it's cute. Um, but, too, are, are preschool kids really that interested in, in that stuff? I mean, you know, because it, when you spin off of the STEM thing, the, the big buzzword this year is coding. Everyone wants to talk about coding, and I know my kids are doing a little bit of that in school where they, they have things like um, some of the Spiro products in there, and it's, it's become part of the curriculum, but I'm just not seeing it actually being played with on a day-to-day -day basis. So maybe, it, maybe I'm the grumpy anti-tech guy, but there's people out there that tell me that that it's a big deal, but... I haven't. I I'm just not seeing the first hand on it. Yeah, I, I haven't either, which is why I posed the question. And and just it's uh, it's disheartening in a way because you know as a parent that you want to provide the best learning experience for your children, and if it could be done via interactive play with some toy, then even better. So if a company was out there that could do both and do both well. It would be embraced wholeheartedly and push the whole idea of learning uh, through educational play in a better direction. But to date, as you said, it's been what's been produced so far has not been a winning combination. It's had a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but not the whole thing. And that's yeah. to be continued, I guess. It, 
Yeah, especially too, because a lot of these companies don't don't release specific product sales figures. So we can see that a category did a certain amount of money, but within that category, we have no idea on some of this stuff, you know, how much it's really moving. But, you know, I'd love to see one of these companies have a, a true home run with something uh, because there there are people that are genuinely putting a lot of time and effort into it. But I want to I, I want to actually see kids connect with something. And I just don't think we're there yet. I agree. I agree. And I think a lot of these products out there today would be best served in a classroom situation where you're kind of there to learn anyway. So the mindset with the kids is already in play as opposed to being at home and maybe not wanting to focus in that particular way. What'd you think of Nintendo Labo? Um, I thought it was a mixed bag. I mean, on the one hand, I, I like the idea of kids having to put something together. I mean, that makes sense to me. It's like there's a reward at the end of your work and you can play with this thing that you put together. Um, but once you've done so, uh, I, I think the actual game that that works with these particular products that you put together are, are not exactly a reward unto itself. And it should be. It should be just as exciting for your work. It's sort of like anticlimactic in that sense that you've put in the time, you put in the effort, and now you've got this cool contraption to, to do something with, and that's kind of where it ends. It's not too much fun. It's kind of it's a, it's a pretty fair assessment of it. And they're, they're bringing I, – I think it's a, a great program overall, but like you said, the end game is kind of anticlimactic. Um, they're, they're bringing VR into it now, which was just – just announced within the last week or two here. Um, ironically, they did not show that at Toy Fair. Nintendo wasn't at Toy Fair this year. Um, but the VR element, too, we're seeing VR and AR in everything. Again, you know, show it to me five years from now when it actually functions properly. I'm still not seeing anything, anything that's, you know, really wowing me. Yeah, it's it's the whole idea. Just just because you can, should you? And it's not, if it's not ready yet, if it's half baked, then just don't give it to us yet. Wait till it's done. Um, and it circles back to what we were talking about: the whole idea of of somehow finding a happy medium between technology and engaging play with toys. Uh, it, it, you, you can't necessarily introduce a new gadget and expect that to be the answer, which is kind of what it sounds like. They tried the smart devices. It didn't work. Now they're trying a new gadget with AR and VR. Um, I don't know having a kid wearing a headset the whole time is particularly a good idea. There's a little bit of research going on about that. I think the age limit for some of the products that are out now currently is 13 and up. So I'm not sure how they're going to tackle that particular hurdle for kids younger than that when it comes to wearing a sort of head device, uh, especially with kids developing at that age, et cetera, et cetera. So, I'm a guy that bought the Nintendo Virtual Boy some 25 years ago when it first came out, first day buyer, and that was like the first foray into virtual reality, and it was not a good one. It's a right. notorious flop. Um, so they've so in some capacity, these companies have been working on this now, going on three decades, uh, and it's still it's still not ready yet. So we will see on that one. Exactly, exactly, my friend. Well. You've been 
a superb guest, and I want to thank you, James, for joining me today on the Cute Monster Show. And I thank hope you. that you do. Please stop by again in the future. Absolutely. There's plenty of stuff to talk about. And, uh, I mean, there was some great stuff at Toy Fair, and that it's certainly... It's certainly uh, some conversations we can go into with the different categories and such. But uh, one, my my kind of final thought on uh, all of the tech stuff goes back to something I thought about the first time I saw. I believe it was an iPhone three used to power a stuffed animal's face a few years ago, which is that all of this stuff that we're looking at today, tomorrow, next week. It's all eventually going to be outdated. And the more these companies focus on tethering themselves to someone else's tech, be it a tablet or a smartphone, anything that they don't control themselves, it's eventually going to be outdated and not work. But at the same time, you can go back. It's, it's going to be 40 years soon, but you can go back and grab a Teddy Ruxpin which was groundbreaking at the time. As long as it has fresh batteries, you can probably play a tape in it. That toy still works all these years later. This stuff that we're putting out now, will any of it ever be timeless? It's a fair question. To be continued, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Thank sir. you, sir. You're quite welcome. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time, I'm Vincent Daly, and this is The Cute Monster Show, signing off.